Well, listen, we're in part two of a series called Respectfully. There is a, a, a brief scripture I want to read found in the gospel according to Matthew. Remember, change all year long. We're preaching in the gospels, preaching through the gospels. And I, I want to look at Matthew chapter 15, verse number 21. It says this. It says, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying after us. He answered, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take Listen to this, the children's bread and give it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. I want to use this scripture. To speak from this subject. I want you to drop this subject in the chat. Here it is. I want to talk from this subject today. Do it anyway. Somebody just put in the chat. Do it anyway. <laughs> do it. Do it anyway. You know, I've often articulated that it's, it's my conviction that there are three ways a person can live their life. Culture's way, the church's way, or the king's way. Culture's way refers to the dominant social norms and behavior patterns of the cultural context and period in history that someone lives in. The Bible calls this way of living worldly. Church's way refers to the dominant expression of our faith that is at times a combination of biblical truth and biblical era, religious tradition mixed with some cultural infiltration. It is at times an attempt to spiritually sanitize worldliness. Same issues that the world has, we just give it different labels. Still competitive, we just call it passion. Still prideful, but we just call it elevation. Culture's way. Church's way. And then there's the king's way. And this is actually living according to the virtues, values, and vantage point of Jesus. Now, someone may ask, isn't the church's way and the king's way the same way? And the answer is sometimes yes and sometimes no. Sometimes those that claim to know him the best misrepresent him the most. These are the three lanes 
that we can live our life in. And each of these lanes, look at me, leads to a level. The culture lane leads to a life of sinking. The church's lane leads to a life of survival. Surviving. The king's lane leads to a life of thriving. Sinking, surviving, thriving. Come on, talk to me. I, I know that middle lane bothers us a little bit because a lot of our theology is survival theology. It's barely getting by theology. It's coming up the rough side of the mountain theology. It is celebrating mediocre existence. It's anointing average. Not realizing and recognizing that it is God's preference that we live on level three. He created us for level three, sent Jesus to die for level three, distributed the Holy Spirit for level three, created the church for level three, and sent the Holy Scriptures to give us information that we need to live on level three. He is obsessed with you living on level three, committed to you living on level three. So when you settle for an inferior level, he starts intervening and agitating you because he wants you to know, I ain't die for that. I, di I didn't die for that. Yeah, I, I, I didn't die for that. So he says, whatever he's got to do, he'll do. He'll correct. He'll correct. He'll prune. He'll chastise. He'll comfort. He'll counsel and he'll coach he'll do whatever he's got to do to get you to level three however because he reveals himself as a shepherd and not a slave owner he will lead you there but not force you there he will let you live on whatever level you settle for but I believe that the effectiveness of God's word in just tied to what he says is tied to when he says it. Did you hear what I said? He knows when to say it. And I believe his kindness is seen in his timing. And the fact that he's talking to us about this right now must mean I'm talking to some people who are sick of settling. I'm talking to some people who will not meander through a maze of mediocrity and live on level one when God says level three is available and live on level two when God says level three is available. We should be sick of settling because settling is an insult to God's intervention in our lives. When you look at the degree of investment that God has made into your past, it's a prophetic picture of what he wants to do in your future. The lengths he went to for us are a revelation that it doesn't make sense for us to settle. However, Living on level three requires more than this revelation I'm giving you. Living on level three requires level three communication. Yeah. 
Did you hear what I just said? I said living on level three requires more than this revelation. Living on level three also requires level three communication. This is why we're spending the next several Sundays in this series subject called Respectfully. Because we want to help equip you with kingdom keys to unlock your future by unlocking your tongue. Don't you mess with me here. We cannot ignore all that the scriptures have to say about the power of that tongue. The writer Proverbs says the power of life and death is in the tongue. And they that love it, look at me, will eat the fruit thereof. He's saying you eating what you're saying. You are internalizing what you're saying. You're digesting what you're delivering. And I came to tell somebody today that we've got to get out of the place where we're saying that the cat has got your tongue and some people need to realize the devil has your tongue if all we're doing is speaking doubt the devil's got our tongue if all we're doing is speaking negativity the devil's got our tongue but I came to tell that devil today loose here and let it go see I don't know some of my Pentecostal people put some fire in the chat right there I said loose here and let it go we don't just need deliverance in the mind we don't just need deliverance in the bank account we don't just need deliverance with our habits I need deliverance in my mouth my mouth enslaved to negativity and cynicism and pessimism and doubt because no one talks to you more than you it's not that God isn't talking the, the reality is many of us have not given God enough influence. Yeah. Yeah. See, everybody that talks to you doesn't have influence with you. Because when two different people are saying two different things to you, you have to choose who you believe. And so God's talking to you, but you talking to you too. And you've given you more influence. So you believe you and not him. Did you hear what I just said? Yes, so, 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 watch this. Sometimes the problem isn't unbelief, it's misplaced belief. It's you believe you. When you say you aren't going to make it, you believe you. When you say you can't recover, you believe you. When you say no one will want you, you believe you. When you say you're less than, you believe you. Not, not realizing that it's true if it's true to you, even if it's not true. Level three living requires level three communication. You follow me? In the book of beginnings, Genesis, you see the story of these people building this tower of, in Babel, right? The tower of Babel. And God looks at non-religious people, or they were religious, idolatrous, 
people. They worship another God. He look at them and say, if I don't do something, because these people are of one accord and they speak the same language, because they understand the principle of unity, they are going to accomplish their goal even though it's not a godly goal. But they're using a godly principle. The children of darkness, the Bible says, are wiser than the children of light because the children of light will worship a God they don't believe. And the children of darkness will use principles from a God they don't believe in and get results. And God says, I got to, I got to stop them. And the way he stops them is by confusing the languages. Because nothing can be built without proper communication. So building that Tower of Babel is a metaphor for building your life. Building relationships, it only goes as high as that communication. That's why it is a point in the place of spiritual warfare and satanic attack in relationships. Level three living requires level three communication. And respectfully, this series respectfully is intended to equip us with kingdom keys for level three communication. We, if, <laughs> if we're going to experience level three, we got to master the skill of tough talks. And on last week, we talked to, to you about Having tough talks with you. Because if you're going to live on level three, you got to be willing to have tough talks with you. But on today, this Mother's Day, last week we we learned from a young man. On this week, we need to learn from a young mother. Now, I felt how tight it got in the chat right there. (laughs) Right? Because I think what I'm doing is I'm exposing some patriarchy in our theology. Because why is it that we expect women, come on, to learn from all the men in the Bible? But don't expect men to learn from any women in the Bible. See, you see that? (laughs) Yeah, but we're going to learn today. Yeah, this, this, this young woman has something to teach everybody. On this, on this Mother's Day, we aren't just going to celebrate mothers. We're going to learn from one. And this, this young woman, this mother, she teaches us how to have and how to handle tough talks with God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Listen to this. The text says, I I love how verse 21 begins. It says, and leaving that place, leaving that place. I love those three words are significant. We won't know the significance of leaving that place if we don't know what place Jesus left. He's leaving a place in space where he engaged, where he was engaging in some deflating conversation. You ever had any of those conversations where the people you were conversating with felt like pins that were popping the balloon in your life, letting the air out of you? Jesus had recently had a conversation with people like this that he's attempting to help. 
but they had already made a decision not to be. So they became hostile toward him and Jesus models something that I think can be captured in the following phrase. Here it is, family. It's a sticky statement. Strong love is not an excuse for poor stewardship. Strong love is not. What, what do I mean by that? In other words, Jesus was saying when he left them, some people said, you don't love me. He's like, yeah, I do love you. But strong love is not an excuse for poor stewardship. He says, I love you. So Paul says that means I need to be patient with you. But that doesn't mean I got to waste all my time with you. Okay, let me go to. He says, love means I will show grace to you, but it doesn't mean I have to submit and to subject myself to abuse from you. Love means I will invest in you, but it doesn't mean I'm only assigned to you. He left that place. And what's amazing is, this is interesting, he he doesn't get to this place that he's in if he's not willing to leave the place that he left. But if he doesn't get to this place, he doesn't run into this woman. If he doesn't run into this woman, he doesn't have this experience. If he doesn't have this experience, we don't have this story. If we don't get this story, we don't get this lesson. Do you see how much is tied to your place? Did you hear what I just said? I said, do you see how much is tied to your place? This is something that's powerful. I've taught you this before. It bears repeating. Jesus models this for us. Listen to me. Just because someone doesn't see your value doesn't mean what you have to offer isn't valuable. Sometimes the issue isn't your value. It's their values. Did you hear what I just said? That sometimes it's it's not your value. It's, it's their values. They got values that don't value what's valuable about you. Did you hear what I said? See, you can have high value with people who don't see it because they got low values. <laughs> Did you hear what I said? Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't lower your value to the level of somebody's low values. Am I making sense? Why? Because the people Jesus was trying to convince did not value his ministry. But there was nothing in value about his ministry. They just value tradition more. They, they, come on. They just value their pomp and circumstance more. They, they just value their way of religious life more. But there was a woman over in Tyre and Sidon that was waiting on what other people are taking for granted. And I'm trying to tell you that there are people that are waiting on. Ready to embrace and receive what other people are taking for granted. And I I pray God arrests that attitude of inferiority. I pray that he gives you the grace and the wisdom and the wherewithal to cease from valuing yourself based on somebody else's low values. Yeah, don't lower your values because they don't value smart. 
Don't lower your values because they don't value assertiveness. Don't lower your values because they intimidated. Come here, sisters. It's Mother's Day. Buy a woman who can bring home the bacon and fry it. Don't lower your values. He said, you too strong. You too strong. You're only too strong for somebody who don't want to build nothing. But a builder will look at that strength and say, baby, I'm a movement by myself. But I'm a force when we're together. Baby, I'm good all by myself. But you, you make me better. I'm telling you, I'm telling you what I know. I'm getting ready to write my next book on this. It's, it's, I, I went through this in my own life. I struggle with this. I'm like, okay, I come from this African-American preaching tradition. And I'm like, ain't nobody going to want to hear anybody my age, I'm not old, my age, teach. Nobody want to hear me teach. And there's some people that don't. And they don't want mine. But there's a people in New Jersey, in Orlando, in Atlanta. Waiting on what other people want nothing to do with. Nothing wrong with your value. It's people's values. He leaves there. And he goes, Jesus leaves there, and he goes to this Canaanite country. These cities, Tyre and Sidon. And the Bible says he's approached by this Canaanite woman. Now, I want you to understand the significance of this. So she's a Canaanite woman. She's not from Israel. So she should be worshiping a number of other gods, including gods like Baal. But when she comes to Jesus, this mother, don't you mess with me here, this mother who has a child, the child can be a metaphor if you're not a mother, a metaphor for something that you value greatly, that's suffering terribly. If you're a builder, entrepreneur, it's something you gave birth to. You you birthed that thing. There were labor pains to birth that. And now the thing you birthed is suffering terribly. This woman pulls up on Jesus. And she says, Lord, son of David, wait a minute. How you know? How you know who David is? 
That's what I said. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, Darius, why are you surprised? And then I had to get real with me and say, I'm surprised because I judged her. Based on the fact she was a Canaanite woman. I didn't know I was judging her, but the fact that I was surprised that she knew his name. Lord, son of David. Means that I went, when I saw Canaanite, I made assumptions. Yeah, that, that, that I could look at where she come from. Come here. I said that I could look at where she's come from. And then draw a conclusion about who she is. But I want to know, are there any sisters that are listening to this that are testify, you can't judge my today by my yesterday. Yeah, I used to be a Canaanite, but I know his name. Hey, when I could call no other names, I called his name. When no other name would come and rescue me, he came and rescued me. I know his name. This woman comes to Jesus. This is interesting. She say, uh, she say, listen, I need your help because my daughter is demonized. Don't miss this. And Jesus says, I'm only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. You're a Canaanite, but I'm only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. So it's not appropriate for me to take what's fitting. Yes. Take, take, it's not appropriate or fitting for me to take the children's bread, that's Israel, and give it to dogs. That's not an insult. That's, that's Gentiles. That's anybody that's not an Israelite. Got me? All right, so here it is. He's saying, I'm clear on my primary ministry assignment. And it's not that I'm not going to get to you. I'm going to get to you. I'm going to get to the Gentiles. I just can't get to you yet. You're asking for this ahead of schedule. (laughs) I hadn't got to Israel yet. You, <laughs> so I can't, I can't take bread that I hadn't given to the children yet and give to Gentiles. I want you to hear what she says. I, I, I want them to put verse 27 on the screen because you got you to gotta see this. Because if you don't see this, you're not, you, you're not going to, you, you will be robbed of the richness of this text. Jesus said it's not fitting for me to take what belongs to the children and give it to the dogs. This woman says, yes, it is. See, y'all miss. Read the text. No, no, don't sanitize the story. She said, yes, it is, Lord. Y'all missed it. Y'all missed it. Don't miss it. Yes, it is, comma, Lord. Yes, it is, respectfully. Respectfully. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Because even the dogs get the crumbs. Watch this. She didn't even say I'm not a dog. 
She said, I'm not trying to change the way you see me. I just need you to bless me. I know you're Lord, so you don't have to change the way you see me to bless me. Because my blessing is not predicated on my goodness. My blessing is predicated on yours. And Jesus says to this woman, you got great faith. You got great faith. What does she do to demonstrate her faith? She, 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 she places her confidence in God's character and not her own. She say, I know I'm a Canaanite. I know you're a Jew, but do it anyway. I know I don't deserve anything I'm asking you for, but do it anyway. I know I'm asking you to move me to the front of the line and put me in front of the Jews, but do it anyway. I know what I did last summer, but I need you right now, so do it anyway. And I'm asking you to do it anyway because you are do it anyway, God. You did it anyway. You did it for a Roman centurion soldier. And the Romans were oppressing Israel. You did it anyway. You did it for Jairus' daughter who were 12 years old. You did it for an exploitive and manipulative tax collector named Zacchaeus. Do it anyway. And I believe some people watching can testify when you look back over your life, there are some things you walked in, not because of what you did, but because he did it anyway. Y'all not here. <laughs> Y'all there's some harvest you got you didn't sow for because he did it anyway and there's some things that should have came to you that blew up your whole life but God blocked it because he did it anyway I, I, I gotta go but I wanted to learn this from this woman here's my question what is it that you hadn't received because you've assumed he won't do it anyway How have you tamed your prayers? Because you don't believe. He'll do it anyway. How have you lowered your expectations and shrunk your vision? Because you won't believe. He'll do it anyway. What are you missing out on? Because you've assumed he won't do it anyway. This isn't about abusing God's grace. It's about recognizing God's goodness and your faith being in his goodness and not yours that's a tough talk 
to ask for a miracle when you're a Canaanite. It's tough. Because you're, Lord, I know. It's that prodigal son talk, right? Let me go back and give him this whole speech. He's like, I don't want to hear it. I'm going to bless you anyway. <laughs> don't miss this family. She models Hebrews 4.16. I'm done. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find the grace to help in our time of need. See, he didn't say approach it with entitlement, but he did say approach it with confidence. A confidence in the superiority of God's character. Your commitment, God, to be good is a commitment you make to yourself. When I could swear by no one greater, he said I had to swear by me. It's a belief that he commits to be good because he's made a commitment to be good. And I know this seems troubling for some. There's a theologian, Slarmarker calls this scandalous grace. Say this scandalous. He said, when I look at grace, it's scandalous. He says, I know you made some mistakes. I'm going to do it anyway, though. I'm going to do it anyway. Because he, he did it for this woman, not just for this woman. He did it for this woman, for us. He did it for us. And he's going to do it for you, not just for you, but for others who are going to be impacted by your life and by your ministry and by your story. I'm done. I believe God's spoken. I don't want to share my points. But there's one thing I saw in the text. When Jesus told this woman what he told her, there's something I intentionally omitted. Before she said what she said, the text says, in verse 25, she came and knelt before him. She assumed the posture of prayer and worship. <sighs> Look at me. And her worship revealed her heart. And her heart revealed she was someone God could trust. He said, I'm going to do it anyway. Because I see your heart. Because there's some, there are some people who didn't do what you did, but they won't kneel. So I can't trust them. But I trust a kneeler. One who's broken before me.
And so some of us right now on this Mother's Day, we need God to free us, to ignite in us this belief that he can do it anyway. In your own way, you don't have to do it with your body, but with your heart, just kneel. <sighs> kneel in your heart. Yes. Yes.